Well, good morning, Grace Church. It is great to see you today. Look at somebody sitting nearby. Tell them you're happy to see them in church. Those joining us on live stream and Facebook Live, we are so glad you've chosen to be a part of our service today. God bless you. Just want to take a moment here at the beginning of the service and remind you of a couple of things. Uh, youth campers, parents, uh, youth camp registration opens tomorrow, tomorrow for the summer camp season. And I mentioned it Wednesday night. Um, if you don't know, there are some perks for registering early, for going on in tomorrow and taking care of that. They typically throw in a t-shirt and a few other little things. So if you know you're going, don't put it off. Just go ahead and take care of it. Uh, that can also be very beneficial. Uh, they don't, I don't typically think they run out of registration, but sometimes dorm space gets a little crowded. And so you want to get on the list as soon as possible for all of those things. Uh, if you have, by the way, if you have any questions about that, just see me or Sister Vera after service. Uh, Tuesday morning prayer this Tuesday uh, here in the sanctuary, 10 o'clock a.m. If your schedule allows, please be a part of that. And then I'm so excited to announce that we will be having Communion Sunday next Sunday. And uh, to me, in, in my mind, the way I approach this uh, is it just is going to set us up by taking communion together next Sunday to just walk through uh, the, the next week leading up to Easter, Good Friday, uh, the price and the, and the cost of Calvary, and then to come back here the following Sunday, which of course is Easter at Grace, and celebrate the resurrection. And so uh, to me, it all starts next Sunday with communion. So come with your heart prepared for that service, and let's just see what God will do. Final announcement. Well, I've already made the final announcement. It's Easter on April 9th, so remember that. Um, Just very quickly, I'll share this with the church. I'm so excited. I'm just truly um, just overflowing with excitement. I'm telling anybody that will listen, and I have the mic, and you're listening, so I'm going to tell you. We had a tremendous experience at Friday night at Statewide Youth Rally with our young people. I don't, I don't have a count of how many were there uh, at that service, but it was in the thousands for sure. And um, they made a presentation uh, and honored uh, our real McCoys. Now, let me tell you what a real McCoy is. A real McCoy is a student that individually raised at least $250 for Move the Mission in 2022. And... Um, we had a, a, a host of our students that stood and were recognized. Noah Watley was actually called up on stage because he raised over $1,000 for Move the Mission. So Grace Church was well represented, was so proud of those students for that. But what I did not realize and what I did not know, after the service, we were just kind of hanging out and having some fellowship. And I had a minute to just greet the youth president, Brother Drew Galloway. And we were just talking about Real McCoy. They, there were 80 Real McCoys from the state. Their goal is to have 100 in 2023. And I just mentioned to him, I said, I don't have a list in front of me, but I know Grace Church had at least 10 Real McCoys. Just want to let you know, so proud of our students. And he said, well, if you had 10 Real McCoys from your church, he said, then you had the most from any church in the state of Louisiana. Amen. Amen. So I hurried up and got back and, and looked it up real quick to see. I, I want to make, I, you don't want to lie to the youth president. I mean, my goodness. Right there on the campgrounds, praise God. So I looked it up and we had 14 
Real McCoys from Grace Church. According to the youth president, that's the most of any church in the state. I think that's pretty cool. So I hurried up and texted our section youth leader and let him know. And I'm hoping the word travels back and gets on where it needs to go. But I was just so proud of our students, and you should be too. They are representing us so well. And I'll tell you this, more importantly than Real McCoy, they were some of the first ones in the altar. And we're pastors going to have more to say about that later. But they were some of the first ones in the altar when church, when that altar service was given. They're hungry for the presence of God, hungry for a move of God. I'm proud of them. Let's stand together. If you're happy to be in church, if you're ready to worship, I'm just going to ask you to give God a great big ovation of praise. Clap your hands. Praise team, take us to the presence of God today. no rival that could ever stand against your mind. You've always been
Days may be darkest, but your light is greater. You light our way, God, you light our way. The evil is rising, you're rising higher with power to save, with power to save. You keep hope alive, you keep hope
Lord, as you return to your seats, look at somebody and tell them, I'm so happy to see you. I don't know what to do. I know that's a long statement, but I think we can do that. I'm happy to see everybody here today. Thank you so much for being in Grace Church. We appreciate you being here and uh, thankful that Jesus is here today as well. Thank the Lord. You may be seated for a moment. Uh, there are several things that I want to mention to you today. I understand that this past Friday night at uh, the All-State Youth Rally was absolutely phenomenal. And uh, as uh, we've come to anticipate and never cease to appreciate it, our young people showed up in fine fashion. And I was real excited about that. I understand that our band was full uh, going to the campground Friday night. And, uh, and then we had some that got there by other means as well. So uh, Grace Church was very well represented this past Friday night uh, at the statewide youth rally. I've heard nothing but good reports about the service. And uh, to all of our real McCoys, congratulations and doing a great job raising money for Move the Mission. Thank the Lord. And uh, we'll have some comment about that in just a moment. Um, but I'm real excited uh, this morning. Was excited to get the, the message uh, yesterday uh, that our, our sweet Tanner, Tanner Adams, was filled up with the baptism of the Holy Ghost Friday night at Allstate Youth Rally. Isn't that wonderful? Let's give the Lord some praise for that. Come up here, Tanner. We have something for you, of course. And um, this is a this is a great young man. He is. Uh, I don't I don't obviously know him that well when he's at home because I don't live there. Fair enough. Uh, but at church, he's amazing. Uh, always quick to give you a hug, and if you've not gotten a hug from Tanner. You don't know what you're missing. Uh, he's he's a good good fellow. Has a, a sweet sweet spirit about him, and we're proud, man, that you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost finally, right, at uh, statewide. So we have our uh, Grace Church Holy Ghost certificate for you that we want you to have and take home. It just says that you received the Holy Ghost on Friday, March the 24th, and we want you to never forget that moment, and we don't think you ever will. Love you, Tanner. God bless you, buddy. Thank the Lord. Let's give him some appreciation. That's awesome. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. I do want to give you a uh, quick update. Uh, as some of you may realize by now, that the, in the, the week that district conference is held in Tioga on that Friday night is always the statewide youth rally. So when you go to the statewide youth rally, district conference has been Wednesday and Thursday of that same week. And uh, very generally, a very broad stroke here. Uh, district conference is basically a business meeting that has just been real amped up into some phenomenal church services, great singing, great preaching, what have you. And, uh, but it's a time when we elect all of our district officials, uh, and we have that every year. Uh, while we're there at district conference, they take advantage of having such a, a great representation. Louisiana has right at 300 uh, churches. That would obviously mean right at 300 uh, pastors. And uh, right at 250 of the pastors of Louisiana was there. I, it had to be a record. I know why they were there, and I'll share, with that, share that with you in just a moment. But as we do every year at district conference, the churches that gave 
usually the top 20 churches are recognized, uh, the top 20 in giving are, are recognized by uh, nearly all of the, the various departments uh, that we raise funds throughout the year for various departments and what have you. And it's always a, a privilege, it's always a joy to come back home and tell you how Grace Church did in Louisiana with right at 300 churches in the state. Uh, first of all, move the mission. And uh, last year I give uh, Tanya, our youth staff, huge accolades for this. Uh, our real McCoys that raised at least $250. And Noah has been recognized already as raising, I believe, right at 1000 a little over $1,000. Uh, in Move the Mission this year, Louisiana gave a total of $560,000. Grace Church gave $22,000 of that, and we placed number six in the state. I'm thankful for that. Thank the Lord. Um, and uh, North American Missions, this is, of course, as you know, people who uh, go to various parts of the United States to start a church somewhere. Um, North American Missions used to be called Home Missions, um, helps them financially to, uh, for various things. To, uh, they can help contribute to church building, church property, uh, needs of the pastor, his family, and so on. Love North American Missions. Um, Grace Church gave $16,200 to that, and we placed again number six in the state. And uh, we're very thankful for that. And then in our Mother's Memorial offering, Mother's Memorial, uh, as you all know, helps our foreign missionary wives and their families overseas. Uh, it buys our missionaries automobiles. It can buy airplanes, boats, washers, dryers. Um, it can help if uh, missionaries have children that, that even need braces for their teeth. Uh, I mean, it covers a, a wide smorgasbord of needs and it's phenomenal. And I'm very thankful. Louisiana gave $386,000 to Mother's Memorial. And um, Grace Church gave 11500 of that and placed number five in the state of Louisiana. And I'm thankful for that. And then Save Our Children. Save Our Children is a children's ministry offering, obviously. And uh, it, it helps uh, with, again, uh, pastors, missionaries, home missionaries, etc., with needs with their children. A good portion of this offering actually stays in the state of Louisiana and it uh, supports youth camps. Uh, it's, it, it even part of it goes for Bible quizzing. Uh, it, it covers a lot of things uh, financially uh, that we do here in the state of Louisiana and then worldwide. Uh, Louisiana gave $250,000 of that. Grace Church gave 5,500 in place number eight in the state. So we were in the top 10 in all of these categories. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for your burden, your vision for these things. And I think it is amazing. Um, it's such a privilege to be the pastor of this church sometimes. It's just a real privilege to be pastor of Grace Church. I also want to mention, uh, we, uh, our district superintendent who was here a couple of Sundays ago preaching, um, I've, I have announced this, I believe, once, but I wanted to wait till district conference was over to, to get more uh, fervent and passionate about it. Uh, I'm very happy to report to Grace Church 
that uh, the election to vote for all of the campground renovations that they want to do. That includes a brand new boys dorm that will be double in its capacity. It will sleep now 300 boys uh, instead of 150. It's going to be very modern, and I would not expect uh, Brother and Sister Weber to do anything less than that. But it's going to be phenomenal. Uh, it's a $3 million project. We voted on that Thursday morning, and I'm telling you, if you could have been there to heard the all in favor say aye, if you could have heard that, uh, you would have thought they were praising the Lord. I, it was just so loud. I expected to see somebody run in the aisles or something. They, the, just the spirit of it was so excited, so anxious, so just let's do this, let's do this. And, um, and then they voted uh, to build a new, a new tabernacle. Our current tabernacle seats 5,000. They want to build a new one. They'll seat 7,500 that could be easily expanded to 10,000. And um, I believe that's a $9 million, $8 million project. And uh, that passed with resounding support. And that's why all the pastors showed up that I mentioned a little while ago because they wanted to be a part of that. I'll tell you right now, I wanted to be a part of it. To, to make a contribution to this campground. Um, all of the structures on that campground that is owned and operated by the district uh, goes, goes back to World War II. Uh, that's how old. The, the new boys dorm, as they now call it, the one that's fixed to be torn down, it can't be repaired. It has a cracked slab and what have you. Um, it's 50 years old, and they still call it the new boys dorm and uh, I think it's time to make that title accurate and, and build a new one anyway uh, I do I've heard tremendous complaints about that somebody here at Grace Church said I'd rather stay somewhere in Baghdad than to stay in the I told brother Weber that story and he got a huge kick out of it and um, I won't say Kelton's name but it's somebody that attends our church here uh, that said that so uh, but all of these things are about to begin. I know that uh, Brother Weber and our district board are extremely excited. Uh, Brother Weber reported when the, the district board passed these two resolutions that one of the men just started weeping and sobbing, uh, just so excited uh, that these things are about to take place. I'm saying all that to say Grace Church wants to be a part of that. I know there is a host of people here today that have been blessed beyond words uh, by God on that campground. Uh, there's people here today that received the baptism of the Holy Ghost on the campground one Friday night. Uh, I can remember some of our young people, actually married people that are here today. I remember the night you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost at, on the campground. I was there. And uh, uh, it has been a tremendous blessing. People have been healed and the miracles the word of God, the teaching, the preaching is just immeasurable at how the campground has impacted our life. I want Grace Church to be a part of this project. Um, Brother um, Dwayne Parker, who is our North American Mission Secretary, uh, made the statement at our Section 2 conference in February that he said nobody in this room was a part of the campground being built in its infancy. Um, 75 plus, well, more, more than 100 years ago. And, um, and that is true. So now the burden is on us. It's on this generation. It's on this, this church right now to make it better for not only us in our lifetime, but as the Lord tarries for the generations of people coming. 
I want to be a part of it. It would be a privilege to be a part of, of the all the renovations. Brother Weber has tremendous vision. I'm being a little bit long here, but you all get the point. Uh, we love the campground. I'm thankful for everyone here today that has participated, who has worked at the campground, who has worshipped at the campground. I look at Brother James and Sister Sarah for many years in a row. They drove the church van transporting our young people, children, back and forth to youth camp. Um, it, it goes wide. It goes broad. There's a giant cross-section that goes through this church of people who have been supportive of the campground that loves it. Um, Darren and Natalie, I heard somebody talking to them last night. Uh, they, they already have made plans to pull their camper up to the campground. And uh, he told me last night that he is as busy as he is working tremendous hours on his job. Um, he's, he's taken all of, uh, a, lot of, a portion of his vacation, a big portion of his vacation, to go to all the youth camps this year uh, with his family, with his two girls. That's amazing to me that people would do that and that they love it that much. Grace Church is going to help, so in the next couple of Sundays, we'll let you know exactly when. Uh, I need a little time to prepare a presentation, but we're going to ask you to help. Uh, Grace Church is going to make a commitment. Uh, we've already made it uh, to help the campground make this happen. And uh, it's a pledge for three years. We're going to be talking to you about it in the next couple of Sundays uh, when we have a, a week or two to get prepared for that. So keep that on your radar and uh, let's, let's contribute. Let's contribute uh, to the campground. And you say, well, what about us here? We've never been selfish with our money for here. We, we, we try to bless and give to everything we can, as you've just heard. We want to be a part of the kingdom worldwide. And I'm thankful to report that Grace Church is very thankful for that. Thank the Lord. God bless you this morning. Stand with me, if you would, as we turn to the Word of God. And um, I'm excited about my message today. And it may be a little more Bible study-ish than preaching-ish. Um, we will see. But I'm, I'm excited about it. This has been on my heart and mind for the past several weeks. And I've looked forward to the opportunity to bring this to you. Before I read my verse today, Brother Dave Bunch preached an absolute masterpiece last Sunday. And I want to thank him for that. It's amazing, wonderful, wonderful job. Uh, if you were not here, have not had an opportunity to see that or listen to that, it would bless your heart uh, to go back and watch or listen to his message last Sunday. James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift, every good gift, and every perfect gift is from above. Everybody say amen. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. I want to speak to you for a few minutes this morning about God's greatest attribute. God's greatest attribute. Would you say thank the Lord for the word? Thank you and you may be seated. I feel very confident today by way of introduction and segueing into my 
message this morning to say that for people who have been married any length of time, uh, I know it's happened to me. Uh, Sister Murphy and I are going on 47 years this year, I believe. And uh, I think all of us would agree that if you've been married for any length of time at all, that your spouse or yourself has changed since you got married. Somebody was pointing out last night at a gathering we were attending that how thin their husband was at one time. And I told them that when Pastor got married, I weighed 140 pounds. And uh, now I weigh 200 and none of your business. <clears throat> but my response to that was immediately, but look at the bargain Sister Murphy got. I've just increased in mass of what she can love. and I don't know how else to say it positively than that. <laughs> But that's one of my great attributes since I've been married is I just keep expanding in size and giving Sister Murphy more to love. How many of you have experienced that in your marriage, Waylon? He will not raise his hand. He was the one that was the matter of that subject last night. I suppose if I ask everyone here today what they thought God's greatest attribute was, no doubt you would get a smorgasbord of, of answers, just a, a different number of answers. And I'll come to that in just a few moments. James is very clear that every good gift comes from above. I, I read that to say it's not possible to possess a good gift that comes from anywhere else. <clears throat> I don't see where there's any way to improve what he said in that statement, nor do I see where there is any way to question what he said. In that statement, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Every gift that God brings to this planet that is from heaven is good and it is perfect. The first that comes to my mind in reference to this statement is the birth of Christ. What greater gift has ever come to mankind than the birth of Christ. It was good, and it was perfect. The second thing that comes to my mind, and Tanner experienced this Friday night on the campground, is the outpouring and infilling of the Holy Ghost. Peter said, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. How many can testify here this morning that it is good and that it is perfect to have the baptism of the Holy Ghost in your life? 
Amen. In asking the question about God's greatest attribute, I want to mention just a couple of things this morning before I launch into the heart of this message. I love the fact that God is sovereign. I believe that's an awesome attribute. God doesn't ask for our opinion. God is never in a crisis. God doesn't ever have to run a popularity contest. He doesn't have to wet his finger and hold it up in the air to see which way the wind is blowing before he makes a decision. God knows what he is going to do before something happens. He knows what he's going to do while things are happening. And he knows what he's going to do after things have happened. God is not bothered by a political nor cultural crisis. I'm happy to announce that God is not a Democrat. I'm also happy to announce that he's not a Republican. He's never on a political ballot. God has never been voted in, and he'll never be voted out. God is sovereign. I like serving a God like that. Hallelujah. God is only accountable to his word. He's only accountable to his will. I'm thankful that God is sovereign. I also love the fact that God is rich. I almost typed in my notes today that he's filthy rich, but I didn't like the word filthy. I, I don't want that to be anywhere close to God. But to suffice it to say that God is rich. He's wealthy. I'm happy about that. He said through the psalmist in Psalm 50 verse 10, For every beast of the forest is mine. I saw a documentary here a while back that if you would like to apply for a permit to own a pet chimpanzee to have and lodge at your house, I don't recommend it, but if you do, if you want to find one with good breeding, it will cost you a minimum of $5,000. God owns every chimpanzee on the planet. I don't want to sound trivial or silly here this morning, but you think about what he owns. Every beast of the forest, every racehorse, the cattle upon a thousand hills, all the prime beef walking around in this country right now, God owns it. You think about what all he has titled to him. Everything. He said, I know all the fowls of the mountains. I know every bird, every winged bird. I know all of them. And the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, God said, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. He owns this planet. He owns all the gold. He owns all the silver. He owns all the brass. He owns everything. He owns all the minerals. He owns all the oil. He owns all the gas. He owns all of it. I want to say to our 
Our great people here this morning that own your own business. I'm glad you think that. Because in reality, you don't. He owns your business. He owns this planet. He owns everything. Let me take it a step further. For those of you that are enthralled with space as much as I am and Brother Jason is and others here today, he owns every planet. As Brother Weber preached here several Sundays ago, he knows every star and he calls them by name. Hallelujah. Every moon belongs to God. The Milky Way belongs to God. Every galaxy belongs to God. Heaven belongs to God. You want to get an idea of how wealthy God is? Go to the book of Revelation this afternoon and read what heaven is constructed out of. I couldn't afford to buy a square inch of heaven, but he owns it all. My God is rich. You ask, why do you say that and why are you so happy about it? I wouldn't want to give my life to a God that's broke. I wouldn't want to serve a God that's on the, 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 the verge of bankruptcy. I wouldn't want to, want to live for a God who lives in poverty. If there is any deficiency in your life today, any deficiency in your life today, we serve a rich and wealthy God. Paul said in Philippians 4, 17, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. Again, I'm glad that God is not chintzy with the Spirit. I'm glad He's not chintzy with the Holy Ghost. When you receive the Holy Ghost, He fills you up with it. He don't just give you a little Jesus prophesied and said out of His innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. This spake He of the Spirit that they which believe on Him should receive. I want to say to you today, if you're here and your life is empty and hollow and deficient, I know a God today. I serve a God today that's able to fill you to overflowing. I thank God today that He's rich. He's rich in power. He's rich in His Spirit. And He's generous in the way He pours it out. Everybody clap your hands to the Lord today. He can restore health. He can solve domestic problems. He can provide for financial problems. There's nothing that our God cannot handle. Again, if I asked, what is God's greatest attributes? What would you say? What would be your answer to that? I have a feeling here today, and this is mostly based on what, where God has been the most impactful in your life would probably be the source and motivation for your answer. So some would say here today that perhaps mercy is God's greatest attribute. Mercy, it is a great attribute of God. And no doubt, it's way up at the top of the list. I don't know about you today, but I'm thankful for the mercy of God. If it didn't exist, we wouldn't be here. 
But I want to take you back to where we perhaps see the first time the mercy of God is manifested. I think we'd have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. To that one lone couple that lived in the Garden of Eden. They sinned and that sin broke their communion with God, the Bible said. But God, in His mercy, came to talk to them in the cool of the day as He always did. Their conduct did not prevent Him nor stopping Him from coming to them. He could have developed a bad attitude like some of us do when we are wronged by somebody. We didn't do anything wrong, but they thought we did something wrong. And so we developed the posture of, well, we're just not going to talk to them anymore. I didn't mean for it to get this quiet. God didn't do that. He came even though they had transgressed. I want everybody to hear that. He didn't have to. He was not obligated. They broke the covenant, not him. He's the one that said, for those that may not know, do not eat of the fruit of that tree, and they did it anyway. But that did not stop him from coming back to them and literally acting around them like nothing had ever happened. They hid. You know the story. They hid. God didn't throw his hands up in the air and say, well, I looked and looked and looked and I couldn't find them, so I guess this is over. He kept calling and kept calling and kept calling. Adam, where art thou? Adam, where art thou? Adam, oh, Adam. And finally, Adam said to himself, perhaps I'm tired of playing this game I'm going to go ahead and fess up and tell God where I'm at as though he didn't know. They came out from behind the bushes dressed in some garb that they put together. But God, in his mercy, said in your feeble attempt to cover your shame, let me show you how to cover up your shame. Does anybody see the mercy of God bleeding through you? The Bible said he slew an animal. He took an animal's life. Blood had to be shed. This is where you see the mercy of God manifested. Because of the, the, the Bible writer said in one place that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no covering of sin. It cannot be covered up sufficiently unless something bleeds and dies. The first type and shadow in the Bible of Jesus going to Calvary 
Am I doing okay explaining the mercy of God? It was manifested in the first two people that was created on this planet. God didn't wait to another generation. He didn't wait 40 more years. He didn't wait a thousand years. He showed his mercy and his capability of the merciful side of God in that instant. He took advantage of the moment to tell those people, let me show them who I really am. Oh, my. So he slew an animal and covered them so that they did not have to feel ashamed because of their nakedness. I want to point out to you this morning that nothing they did changed him. Nor did what did what they had done changed his feelings toward them. So some of us here today may say, especially after that point, that mercy is God's greatest attribute. But hang on a minute. Some may say the grace of God is God's greatest attribute. I don't want to split hairs this morning, but it's interesting to me, and I thought about it, on the way to church today, that mercy is just something God did. But grace in God has to be found. I don't believe mankind really experienced the grace of God until Noah got that alarming voice speaking out of heaven, ringing in his ear. Of God saying, I am sick and tired of what I have created being so evil. Every thought they think is evil continuously. So God said, I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to wipe them. I'm going to just wipe them off the planet. When I'm done with this judgment, they won't exist anymore. It's phenomenal to me. And I didn't think of it in this context until I was on the way to church this morning. That when he told Noah that, I don't know what prompted Noah to say that I thought I knew God pretty well. I thought I had a relationship with God. Noah had heritage. You read his family tree. He had people in his family, his forefathers loved God to the best of their ability. He had a guy, great-grandfather, once or twice, whatever it was. I just thought of this on the way to church this morning. I didn't have time to research it. He had somebody in his family, a lineage that was so amazing and wonderful to God, God raptured him. His name was Enoch. But something prompted Noah, perhaps... If God has been this, this, and this, and this to my family, maybe if I go looking and searching more and find out more things about God, maybe I'll find something else that just might help us being the human race on this planet to not be destroyed. It's interesting to me that the Bible said that Noah found grace. He had to look for it. 
He had to search for it. Oh, God, I'm so sorry that the, the human race is evil. But, God, I'm not one of them. I'm not perfect. But I don't think evil all the time. I don't fit in the bracket with the rest of mankind. Is there something about you that I can appeal my case to that might change the outcome of your decision? And God opened up his jacket, if you will, and said, if you'll look real close, I have something in me that's called unmerited favor. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't do anything to get it. But I'll tell you what, you just found it. And now that you've found it, I don't have any choice but to have grace and to manifest grace to you. Woo! That does something to me. That does something to me. Do you think today that you've limited out with what God has and what God can give? I have a feeling if there's some people here today that got on your knees in your moment of desperate despair, you could find something in God that you never knew existed. So no doubt grace is one of the great attributes of God revealed in the Bible. Noah found it, and it literally spared the entire human race. We sing about it. We preach about it. And to me, still, no one can sufficiently define it. Let me ask the question again. What do you think is God's greatest attribute? The third thing you may say is the love of God. Oh, the love of God. How rich, how pure, how undefiled, how holy. It is that attribute of God that I can't understand. It's been said that God loves unconditionally. Have you ever sought out what that means? Casey texted me a video clip several months ago, and it has literally changed my head. It's, it's, it, it got into my brain and just completely restructured everything about the love of God. When he talks here, the, the man was talking about, I don't remember who it was, but he's talking about in the marriage, and all the married folks need to listen, about loving your spouse unconditionally. Can I be real honest and transparent here today? I don't know if I can do that. There are some things that Sister Murph could do that I, maybe I need to rephrase my statement. I, I think I could continue loving her. But there are some things that may be a challenge to forgive. Uh, unfaithfulness is where I would first begin. There's people here today that's had a spouse unfaithful and you've forgiven them. I've told these people, I've said it many times, I think you're a bigger person than I am. But God loves us even when we're immoral. God still loves us even when we talk bad about him. When we curse him. When we take his name in vain. God still loves us. And the love of God is manifested from the very beginning of the Bible until the very end of the Bible. If God created the human race without the capacity to love them unconditionally, He would have never created them. 
So what is God's greatest attribute? The latter part of the verse I read in James says that with whom? With God, there is no variableness. I believe today, and I'm going to qualify it in the rest of my message. I believe today that the greatest attribute of God is the fact that He does not change. I gave you some hints at the beginning of this, but I don't think any of you caught it. You remember my illustration about my personal marriage with Sister Murph? That she's got more to love. Y'all don't remember that? I mean, you're just looking at me like, hmm, I don't remember that. I hope you haven't checked, you checked out on me before I even started. I believe that the greatest attribute is the fact that God doesn't change. This is why I say it. You'll see it on the screen. I'm happy to submit to you. That by reason of him not changing, none of his attributes change. All right. Let me go back and preach again what I've just preached to you. Let's go back to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. In spite of what they had done, the two of them, just two people. I'm trying to be nice here today. But technically, it was the wife. Adam was doing his thing, man. And God was happy, smiling like the proverbial peacock. Look at Adam, tending to the garden, naming all these animals and birds and bugs and all that. He's doing his thing. Where's his wife? Messing everything up. You men, if you're brave enough, play that card the next time you need something to help you out in your marital bliss or lack thereof. But the two of these people, do you understand with me, think seriously with me for a moment, about God's plan that he had implemented when he created these two people. I believe, and I have Bible to prove it, God created them to live forever on this planet they were to never die the Bible said clearly brother James that by the sin of one man death came into the world death did not exist until Adam and Eve sinned they would still be alive today had they not sinned you say, that's far-fetched. No, it's not. You're going to live forever in heaven. If God can do it there, why can't he do it here? Do you understand how amazing the Garden of Eden must have been? Everything in it was perfect. No need for weed killer. No need for roundup. No need for pulling weeds. No need for none of that. You didn't need a shed for a lawnmower because grass was perfect. I don't know if y'all get my point or not. God created a paradise on this planet for those two people to grow and multiply in and that God would expand it as needed be. But they messed everything up. Because of them, they messed up the Garden of Eden. 
God put an angel to guard the entrance so nobody would go and eat of the tree of life that they would live forever in sin. He blocked the path to the tree of life. He planted a new one on Mount Calvary some years later. Because of Adam and Eve, they reveal the fact that there was a devil. Had it not been for that, we'd have never known there's a devil. They brought sin into the world. And worst of all, in my opinion, they forced God to determine that every man and woman after that time that was lost and sinful would spend eternity in a devil's hell with Satan and all of his demons. They messed up God's plan. Do you hear me? But after all that, I can't find anywhere in Scripture where the mercy of God changed any because of that. Let's go back again to Noah's day. All mankind, as I said, was evil continually. Everything they did was evil. Every thought was evil. God wanted to destroy them all. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord where the mercy of God showed up for Adam and Eve. The grace of God showed up for Noah and his family and for everyone else that chose to get on that ark. And because, because, because there wasn't a great multitude of folks that showed up to get on the ark, that didn't change God's mind or plans either. He saved the entire human race for the sake of eight people. The grace of God is not demanded nor commanded by numbers and masses and multitudes. God didn't set a limit and say, I've got to have at least 10,000 on the ark or it's not worth fooling with. I mean, if I'm going to destroy the whole planet, I want to destroy it for a good reason, good purpose. He didn't do that. He didn't say that. For only eight people, he spared the entire human race. I want everybody to hear today to understand That by reason of the fact that God never changes, neither do his attributes. The mercy of God has never changed. The grace of God has never changed. And the love of God has never changed. It didn't matter that the whole entire nation of Israel turned its back on him over and over and over. You talk about in and out. In church, out of church. In church, out of church. In church, out of church. They were the most in and out, up and down people you read about in the Bible, in my opinion. I mean, idolaters are very misled, in my opinion. But most of them are pretty faithful to their God. They are. Even in our cultures today, they are. But there's just something about these Jewish people that we call Israelites or Israelis in our modern tongue. They just can't seemingly make up their mind about whether or not they want to serve God. His chosen people called for him to be crucified. It didn't matter that the Romans beat him to a bloody pulp and nailed him to a cross. I'm happy to submit to you today that no matter what the human race has done to God, his love for the human race has not changed. Oh, yes. So 
It brings me to that awesome verse in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave. Do you realize how long he had been loving the earth? Some 4,000 years. He has this insatiable, undeniable love affair going on with the human race. And after all these years, no matter how the human race has treated him and cursed him and walked out on him, the Bible said, Jesus said, for God so loved. I would like to change just the wording of that here for a moment. That for God still loves. gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't send his son to condemn. Did he have a right to do that? Oh yes he did. But mercy prevailed. Grace prevailed. Love prevailed. And said don't go down there and condemn them people. I know they're awful. I know they're horrible. I know they're ignorant and they don't understand. But when you get there Jesus all I want you to do is love them with all of your heart. Why? Because the love of God never changes. As a matter of fact, Jesus tried to define that statement to his disciples. In John 15, 13, he made this statement just prior to going to Calvary. He said, greater love hath no man than this. That even when you're not my friend, I'm going to consider you my friend. You remember what he said when when Judah strolled into the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, my friend. When Judas had already betrayed him, Judas ceased to be a friend of God, but God never ceased to be a friend to Judas. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. His definition of friendship is far different from ours. Paul wrote to the church at Rome and said, But God commendeth his love towards us. In that, while we were yet sinners, while we were heathen, while we were a million miles away, while we, while during the time we never gave God a thought, while we were yet sinners, he died for us as sinners before we were even born. I want everyone here today to go to the time with me in your mind. You go with me in your mind to the first time you came to God. You remember what your life was like the first time you came to God? Mine was very similar to Tanner. Tanner was terrified and has been terrified. And a lot of kids go through this. I did. They don't feel like they're right with God. They feel like they're lost. And they're terrified that their parents and parents and siblings and what have you is going to be raptured and they're not. I was terrified. I couldn't go to sleep at night. I would cry. My whole family would get up and pray for me. I'd wake up the whole house. My sister's here this morning. She'll tell you. I had a brother that wasn't serving God at the time. He'd get down and pray with me just so I'd pray off the conviction and go back to bed and so he'd go back to sleep. He really wasn't worried about me making the rapture. He just won't go back to bed. 
My daddy, who got up at 4.30 every morning, got up and prayed with me. My mother got up and cried and sobbed in my ear, praying with me beside my bed. And I would boo-hoo and terrified the rapture would take place, and I wouldn't make it. Tanner had those experiences. Perhaps yours is different. Maybe you were an addict. Maybe you were an alcoholic. There's people here today that your marriage was falling apart, and you were terrified. And so you thought you'd give God a shot at it. It worked. I don't know everybody's story here today of what you were like when you came to God. What was your marriage like when you came to God? What was your home like? How many times had you sinned against God? What are some of the things you did? Did you cheat on your spouse? Were you addicted to pornography? What was it? Did you use foul language and take the name of God in vain all the time? What is it? Were you, were you plagued by vices and you stole and you lied and you cheated? I don't know where, what everybody's testimony was like, but I can promise you this. When you determine that I want to make God central and focus in my life, I want to serve God. When you came into his presence, wherever you were, whether it was in a local church or on the campground or riding in your car or beside your bed, it, does, it didn't matter where you were at. I can, I can have all of you understand today that when you said, Jesus, help me, when you said, God, forgive me, he showed up exactly the same way he did for Adam and Eve. The way he did for our, for Noah and his seven kids. He showed up the same way he did for all of, all of mankind at Calvary. He did not change. His mercy was the same. His grace was the same. His love was the same. Stand with me this morning. Brother Dave, I'll confess when you were preaching last Sunday and you motioned for the musicians, I felt in my heart, no, 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 keep going, keep preaching. It'd be real sweet if somebody just thought the same thing. Do you understand here today, Hebrews 13 and 8. Do you see it in just a little different light than you have in the past? When the writer of Hebrews said, Jesus Christ, the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. You know what? If you need God in your life today and you don't come to him, he's not going to love you less. He won't be any less merciful. And the grace of God will not be diminished. He's that kind of God. I know that I'm just one of few here today that's kind of old. It seems like everybody in front of me is a whole lot younger than I am for some reason. I don't know what happened. I aged and some of you haven't. <clears throat> but this message took me back to, I guess, the 70s, 1970s, 1980s. I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands, but there was a man that was one of the most phenomenal singers in that time era that I've ever heard. His voice was just amazing, very mellow, very melancholy voice. His name was Dallas Horn. 
He sang a song the first time I heard him sing it. It did something to me, and I've never forgotten it. I believe he wrote the song. If I'm not correct, forgive me, but the words go like this. He knew me then, and he knows me now, and he died for me. He loved me then, and he loves me now. Oh, how can it be? He saw my face. He knew the place that I would be today. He knew me then. He knows me now. He still loves me. This is what brings my message into this song today. Some people say that he died one day, but that was long ago. And I'm sure that he was a very good man, but me, he did not know. Well, listen, my friend, for what I say is true. He knew me, and he sure knew you. He knew you then. He knows you now, and he loves you. He knew you then. He knows you now. And he died for you. He loved you then. He loves you now. Oh, I know it's true. He saw your face. He knew the place that you would be today. He knew you then. He knows you now. Often of our sweet Peyton McCullough here today. I remember the early days of her coming to Grace Church. She had a lot of things going on in her life to be such a young person, I guess. How old when you came? 17, 18, maybe something like that. 17. Life was falling apart in so many ways. And what she needed, in my mind, what she needed so desperately was just someone to be gentle, someone to be kind, someone to be merciful, someone that would just give her favor that she had really not done that much to deserve. Maybe she realized it back then. Maybe she didn't. I don't know. I haven't had this conversation. But I don't know if she really understood God and all the heights and depths and all of that that, that people can know about God at, at that time. But she took a huge step of faith when she walked into the, our first couple of services. It still happens often. But I'll see her worship, her hands up in the air, her face up in the air, tears just streaming. It's almost like, how do I, how do I say thanks? How do I reciprocate? I've looked for something, a feeling like this, a fulfillment like this all of my life. Was she drug addicted? No. She addicted to alcohol? No. Was she a cheater and a liar? No. She was the sweetest person, one of the sweetest people I've ever met there was something on the inside that was missing so bad and so much and she found it in her relationship with God 
I could go all around this building today. And if you could think about where you were when you found him and how he treated you. If you could think about how many times you've backslidden and have come back, how has God treated you? You have to come to the realization with me this morning that no matter what we do, where we go, and how far away we drift, God never changes. I'm saying that to somebody here today and because I hear it often sometimes that I feel like I've just gone to a place where God can't save me. I just have done things that I don't believe God can forgive me. You don't know the God that I know. You just don't. He, he would not have created you. He would not have allowed you to be born if you could ever outrun his capacity to be merciful and graceful and loving to you. I may be coming to one or two people here today in a few moments because you're on my heart and mind. If I do, I'm just going to ask you to give God that one more chance to speak to your heart, to touch your life, you will, you will find him the same as the very first time you ever felt his presence. He doesn't change. I've been in meetings, and I'm, I'm closing with this. I've been in meetings with families, with husbands and wives, that one has cheated, one's been immoral, one's been unfaithful, that bad, bad things have happened, and tried to get them to reconcile after all that. It's just a tall mountain to climb. And sometimes it's not possible. You never have those issues with God. You can betray Him. You can fail Him. You can toss Him aside. You can forget about Him. You can live for the next 50 years and never think of God. I'll never forget our sweet Phil Elwood had been backslidden for 30 plus years at least, maybe 35 or even more. He came to a little revival meeting we had and walked down to this about the second row right there on the end been gone from God all those years raised up his hands and God instantly restored that relay instantly he didn't say no sir you're going to have to prove yourself for five years you live the next ten years without doing this and that and then I'll consider coming back and God doesn't do that so as they begin to sing softly I'm going to ask all of you to come and nothing else just come and express some gratitude and appreciation for the presence of God here today but, but if you feel like you need God I want to promise you here today you can trust his dependency you can trust his faithfulness you can trust his kindness you can trust his giving himself to you whatever capacity you need God is there to minister Y'all sing softly. Everybody, would you lift your hands heavenward if you can? You know exactly what I want. Just entertain His presence and see what you feel. Just say, Jesus, I love you and see what you feel. Just say, God, I need you today and just see what you feel. You'll find Him the same as He was the first time you met. He doesn't change. You're the God of healing, restoration power. Nothing is too hard for the working hand of God. So 
Everybody talk to the Lord. Everybody talk to the Lord. Nothing is too hard for the Lord.